0: Welcome to the Root & Remedy podcast, where we discuss all things women's health, hormones, fertility, and body confidence. I'm your host, Vanessa, a women's health nutritionist and the co-founder of Root & Remedy Wellness. You can find our membership as well as all other resources at rootandremedywellness.com. Today's episode is all about cycle tracking for birth control. Is it real? Can you actually do with any accuracy or efficacy? Is it hooky bullshit? We're going to talk about all of that. And I'm going to lay the groundwork and the foundation for you to truly understand not only how do you track your cycle for birth control, but how does it actually work? Because there's a huge disconnect when it comes to understanding our cycles and our bodies in general. As I'm sure you've learned by now. You're literally taught nothing, nothing, zilch, zero, nada about your body, about your cycle, about the hormones that govern your cycle, about when you can get pregnant, because it's not every single day like we're taught in grade school. It's actually a maximum of six days every single cycle. And don't worry, we're going to get into that in today's episode. But essentially, we want to talk about what are our birth control options when it comes to cycle tracking. Because a lot of people have trouble with hormonal birth control. They've got issues with IUDs. They don't like the pill, the patch, the injection, whatever it is that you've tried. And they're looking for non-hormonal options that maybe aren't the copper IUD because the copper IUD is essentially the only other non-hormonal option you've got other than tracking your cycle. So to take you a little bit deeper into this topic. I'm going to start with a little story and this is about how I came across understanding how to track my cycle for birth control because this is now what I live and breathe, what I teach, what I practice myself and have practiced for multiple years now. And it is completely possible. There is a ton of research that has been done on tracking your cycle, but it's, it may not be what you think because a lot of people think tracking their cycle is like a counting a certain number of days. You're like, okay, the seven days after my period, I'm safe. And then around day 14, I should stop. And then, okay, the week before my period, I'm safe again to have sex. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. We do not want to use something called the calendar method or the rhythm method, which is literally when you are guessing and crossing your fingers and just praying to the man upstairs that you don't get pregnant by accident. And please, for the love of God, do not listen to this episode and think that you are a master at the fertility awareness method or cycle tracking for birth control. Yes, that this episode is going to be very dense and I'm going to give you a great intro into tracking your cycle, but this by no means is a fully comprehensive teaching or course or lesson for tracking your cycle for reliable birth control. If you do want to track your cycle, fantastic, but you do need to learn a lot more. We've got a lot of rules that you need to dive into. You need to practice for a number of cycles. She's not necessarily easy to track for reliable birth control, but you can learn the rules and the steps in a more user-friendly, more easy manner, and that would be through one-on-one trainings or a group training or something like that. You want to learn from a qualified teacher, someone who knows what they're talking about, and they are actually allowed to teach you this because there's a lot of people that are self-taught. There's a lot of people that are teaching methods when they really shouldn't be, or a lot of people that are thinking that when they listen to a podcast or they read a book that they can track their cycle and not get pregnant and they know exactly what they're doing please do not do that. Do not be one of the people that ends up getting pregnant unexpectedly because you were not tracking your cycle appropriately. If you do want to learn how to track your cycle, you want the full training. You can do this one-on-one with me. You can book a discovery call in the show notes for this episode, and I'd be happy to talk to you about it. But just know that this is just an intro into tracking your cycle. Yes, we're going to go through a lot of the information, a lot of the different biomarkers, and you are going to feel like you've got a great understanding of tracking your cycle. But I don't want you to think that this is the be-all end-all because it's really, really not. Okay story time. So the reason why I know for a fact cycle tracking does work for birth control. And when I say cycle tracking, I'm talking about something called the fertility awareness method, because there's a lot of ways you can quote unquote cycle track for birth control. Like I said, you guess the number of days you pull out when you think you're ovulating a lot of these things that don't actually work. Whereas when we talk about fertility awareness method or the fertility awareness method, we're talking about being very specific about tracking your fertile biomarkers. So fertility, biomarkers like your temperature, your cervical fluid, your cervical positioning, which I'll dive into in a little bit after or later in this episode. But I don't want you to think that cycle tracking is like this woo-woo thing. It's very, very well studied. You can practice it with over 99% efficacy. So of course, this is when you do it perfectly, but even when you don't do it perfectly, we get in the early nineties, which is very comparable to other types of birth control, both hormonal and non-hormonal. So it's really important that you're at least thinking about cycle tracking and having an open mind when it comes to the fertility awareness method. So the way I came across this method is first I was on hormonal birth control, the pill for multiple years to quote unquote, clear my hormonal acne. It did clear my acne for the time being. Very grateful. Thank you, hormonal birth control, while I was on it. But once I came off birth control, because I realized there was a lot of side effects to birth control, I was learning a lot more about my body and my health and diving very very deeply into wellness at that point. And I just decided for me personally, I was without a partner at that point. It was a good time for me to transition off birth control. I wanted to know what my body was like without the pill, because I was worried that maybe I was getting some of these negative side effects that I wouldn't be crazy about. And I also have a history in my family with breast cancer, and at the time, I wasn't told that birth control can actually increase your risk of breast cancer, but over learning a little bit more, doing my research, understanding the pill and its risks, I did learn that you have a quite or you have an increased risk of breast cancer and other estrogen-related cancers when you're on birth control. And my mother um, is a survivor of breast cancer and a couple other types of cancer. So for me, it just really wasn't an option. I did not want to increase my risk of cancer when a lot of other people in my family, specifically my mother and other other direct family members, had struggled with cancer. So I transitioned off birth control and, of course, didn't want to get pregnant and I didn't necessarily want to be destined for a pregnancy. Also was given no resources when it came to understanding my cycle and my body and my fertility. So I tried the copper IUD. First of all, that insertion, oh my God, I have never, ever, ever felt pain like that in my life, nor do I ever hope I I feel pain like that ever again. Um, I mean, you know, I'm going to give birth one day, hopefully, fingers crossed. So maybe I will endure a pain like that again. But oh, my sweet Lord, my heart goes out to every single menstruator who has gotten an IUD put in. You feel like you are going to pass out and throw up and die all at the same time. It is the most excruciating, uncomfortable, like soul leaving your body feeling when you get an IUD put in. I don't know why there's no anesthetics. I know some places, at least where, where I live in Toronto are now starting to give anesthetics. Thank God, because it's disgusting the pain that you feel. And they're like, Oh yeah, you're going to have like mild to moderate. Some people feel intense pain. And I'm literally like levitating on this in this person's like doctor room. And I'm like, is this normal? Like I was like, this pain literally needs to stop. Or I think I'm going to throw up and pass out. And she was like, this is normal. It's okay. It's going to pass. It's going to pass. Oh my God. So girl, I feel you. If you've got an IUD put in, we got to stand together because that is rough. That really, really hurts. Anyway, for me, the copper IUD was incredible. Honestly, for the first year and a half, I loved my copper IUD. I could have sex whenever, wherever I wanted. I wasn't worried about getting pregnant. It was a great form of birth control for me, but I wasn't On any hormones. And I really loved that. My cycle came back. I obviously had a ton of acne come back. Unfortunately, nobody again told me that when I come off birth control, my acne will resurface. But alas, I figured out more natural ways to heal that. And we talk a lot about that in earlier episodes, episode one with Kristen Cunningham, the acne episode. If you're someone who's struggling with acne, especially hormonal acne, definitely give that episode a listen. I'll also link it in the show notes. But for me, when it came to coming off birth control and getting that IUD, I experienced a little bit of uncomfortable, heavier bleeding for the first little while, but then my periods went back to normal. I was totally fine. Some more mild-ish cramping because that's quite normal when you put a foreign object into your uterus and your uterus has literally never seen anything or had anything touch it before ever. So it totally makes sense that your uterus is like, what the hell is this or an object in me. I don't like this. Let me try to eliminate this or let me get super inflamed because I'm not happy that you put this random object inside of me. But within a few months, that pain subsided and and everything was fine. The next year and a half, had a boyfriend. Everything was good. I was super, super happy with being able to be intimate and all that stuff. And then things took a turn for the worst. And I started to get excruciating pain Anytime after I was intimate. And it was so, so bad. I literally couldn't sit up. I couldn't stand. I couldn't walk. I was literally bedridden crying my eyes out and I was, I literally felt paralyzed. Like it was a horrible, horrible experience. And my boyfriend at the time was literally next to my bed. My roommates were having a party downstairs and I literally was getting this horrible, excruciating pain and I'm crying and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I can't walk to the emergency room. Like I literally cannot get up. I can't even sit up. It was so crazy. And so we're calling these nurse hotlines and they're like, Okay, you're probably having a problem with your IUD. This is like you really just have to let it pass. Then you need to go to the doctor the next day or whatever. So it was quite literally hours of this pain, let the pain subside eventually. Hallelujah, got some sleep and then went to the doctors the following day. She did a full ultrasound on me and was like, Nope, you're good. Nothing's wrong here. Like, I literally don't even know what to tell you. Like, I don't know why you had any pain. And I was like, listen, Linda, that pain was the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And I'm terrified I'm going to have it again. And she's like, nope, you're good. So, okay. A couple more weeks go by. I'm intimate again, you know, kind of terrified, but I give it a go. And the pain comes right back. And again, I'm totally bedridden, excruciating pain, crying, calling the nurse, being like, the doctor said everything was fine. It has to be something else. It can't be my IUD. And she's like, no, 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 no. It's probably your ID. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. Or like, we have unexplained pain. And I was like, okay, unexplained pain every time I'm intimate? Are you kidding me? Like, excruciating, scream, crying pain? No. Like, what even kind of answer is that? So finally, the pain subsides after a certain number of hours. We stop crying. I go to sleep. I wake up the next day and I call my doctor and I'm like, you need to get this IUD out of me yesterday because I don't care what you say. It's There's definitely something wrong because w- literally what else could it be? And she was like, okay, no worries. She took my IUD out the following day. Thankfully, the removal is painless, thank God, because the insertion makes you want to die. And then after that, no more pain. No more pain at all. Everything was totally fine. My uterus was happy, literally no pain. So clearly the IUD, even though it wasn't displaced or it hadn't perforated my uterus or anything crazy like that, still something was wrong and my body was either rejecting it or inflamed by it or something. But now I had gone through my hormonal birth control options. I don't wanna be in hormonal birth control anymore and I know the side effects. And then I tried my non-hormonal option, the copper IUD. I guess I'm literally destined... To get pregnant, like I don't, I don't know what else I'm going to do because condoms aren't 100. I literally have no idea what any other options are. And then I started to research other non-hormonal forms of birth control and came across something called the fertility awareness method, specifically something called the symptothermal fertility awareness method. Symptothermal meaning that you track the two main biomarkers: your temperature, thermal, and your cervical fluid. That's more so the sympto side of things, and you also track things like your 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 cervical positioning, your LH hormone, which I'll get into in a little bit. But essentially, I had to start from ground zero. I was like, there is no way I can cycle track for birth control. I mean, it's better than nothing because right now I'm just crossing my fingers and praying that nothing happens. But So I kind of was desperate at that time and I started to dive into it. I started reading the book called Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler. If you've never learned anything about cycle tracking, you want to dive into it, sink your teeth into it. That book is sensational. It is such an amazing book. It's a great resource. It's such a great way to catapult yourself forward and at least start to learn about your body, all the different biomarkers. You can start tracking either on paper or on a trusted app. My personal app, the one that I use my favorite. And the one that I teach on is called Read Your Body. I'll link it in the show notes below this episode, but it is So, so, so fascinating. Reading that book, I was blowing my goddamn mind every single page. I could not put it down. I was talking to my boyfriend. I was like, did you know that I have phases of my cycle? Did you know that sperm can survive in my body for up to five days when I have fertile cervical fluid? Did you know that fertile cervical fluid is when my quote unquote discharge, which is now cervical fluid, is white and creamy and stretchy, clear, slippery oh my God, this is so fascinating. And I was like word vomiting it to him every single day. And I was just floored by the amount that I could learn about my body, how connected I felt to my body, understanding the hormones, the phases, the different fertility signs. I was elated to learn about this. And I was so excited to dive deeper into this method and learn if it was actually you know, going to give me results or if... Unfortunately, I was just going to have an unplanned pregnancy because up until that point I had heard about cycle tracking, but literally this is exactly what I thought. I thought it was for people who didn't really care if they did or didn't get pregnant. It was, it was that like, you're probably married. You're going to start trying in a few months anyways. So let's start cycle tracking and we'll use it, you know, as a form of, Ish birth control. And if we get pregnant, we get pregnant and that's all good. Whereas at my stage in my life at that point, I was like, under no circumstance am I ready to get pregnant? Like, absolutely not. So, I was desperate and I started to look into it a little bit more. And then I started to learn about the efficacy and I found out, wow, okay, it's over 90% effective with perfect use, which is really interesting. How could I maybe get to the point of perfect use? And I downloaded an app, a different app at the time, because I didn't know about read your body. And I started to track my cycle. I started to learn about my cervical fluid, something that I'd never paid attention to before. And I started to see these different patterns. I started to recognize my fertile signs and I started to identify, okay, this makes sense. This is where I'm not fertile in my cycle. This is when I am fertile in my cycle. Okay, right before my period, I'm not fertile anymore. It's impossible for me to get pregnant. And then you start to learn in which which areas and which phases of your cycle, do you need to be more careful because you have the potential to get pregnant if you are not tracking properly. And then other phases where you can cross your fingers, have as much sex as you want, and it is completely impossible for you to get pregnant. That's post-ovulation. When your body literally cannot ovulate again, it's impossible for you to get pregnant. So that's essentially my story of how I fell into cycle tracking because I literally had no other option. But at the end of the day, I am so passionate about it because it has changed my life personally. It's changed so many lives of the clients that I work with who are feeling like they have nowhere to turn if they don't want to be on birth control anymore, and they have no other resources. They're told that, well, it's either birth control or nothing like birth control or bust girl. Like that's literally your option. You can try a copper IUD, but don't do that because your periods are going to suck. And most people, honestly, IUDs freak them out. And I totally understand why after my experience, but if you don't want to be an IUD girl, you are worried about other forms of birth control, or they didn't work for you, then the fertility awareness method and learning how to track your cycle for birth control may actually be a great idea for you to explore. A few things that I want to cover right from the jump. Number one is it is a daily method and a daily practice. So you need to set aside time and a certain amount of cycles, typically three or four full cycles, to learn it and to actually master it. So this is where we'd work one-on-one together or if you wanted to work with somebody else, make sure that you work with a qualified teacher. But you can learn it fairly quickly within a few cycles, but you can't practice something you don't know. So it's not like you can just... Half-ass it and do it a half the time, or you know, you're you think you know when you're ovulating, so you think you're pretty good. No, 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 no. It is a practice that you do every single day. It doesn't take long. It's like thirty seconds a day, but it is still something that you cannot start to slack on something I always say in my teachings is that you are always playing defense if you are not trying to get pregnant because your body, every single cycle is doing everything it can to get pregnant. It is trying to find and latch onto sperm, keep it alive up until when you ovulate. So that window is about five days before you ovulate. And it's trying to shuttle any sperm up through that, that uterus or that cervix out through the uterus into the fallopian tubes to fertilize that egg. And Even if you don't want to get pregnant, like Vanessa today does not want to get pregnant, Vanessa's body, Vanessa's ovaries, Vanessa's hormones, they want to get pregnant. My biology wants me to get pregnant. That is why I'm put on this earth. I'm in my incredibly fertile years. So if you are a menstruator and you're in your fertile years as well, especially in your 20s and 30s, your body's doing everything she can to get pregnant. So make sure that you know that this is a daily practice, not something that you can do Sometimes it's something you do every single day. And without a shadow of a doubt, you can know when you are and aren't fertile. So it's very, very powerful. But I just want to make sure you know that it does require effort. It requires learning. It requires a time investment. And you need to make sure that you are willing to take on that, that investment and take on that time because it's not for everybody. Some people start to learn how to track their cycle and they realize that it makes them super anxious and they're actually not interested in tracking their cycle. They need to do some other form of birth control. And that's okay. And some people, it just doesn't work for them because they don't want the upkeep. And that's also okay. It's all about what works best for you and your individual body. For me, this is my favorite method of birth control, but it really isn't for everyone. So Go through this episode, start to learn about your cycle a bit more. We'll be diving into the cycle tracking and then you can start to practice and see, okay, is this something I could see myself doing every single day? Do I have a long-term partner? Do I not? Because that may also change your opinion and your readiness for a practice like this. And you'll also want to talk to your partner if you do have one about this practice because you want to make sure that they're supporting you in your learning process, that they're comfortable with you guys using other forms of birth control for the time being like condoms or other barrier methods. To make sure that you don't get pregnant or you don't have any slip ups while you're learning the method. So, let's dive into what cycle tracking actually is and what is the fertility awareness method. So, with the fertility awareness method, you are identifying exactly to a T the days you are fertile and the days you are not fertile because your body and your hormones and your cycle, everything like that, is all working in harmony throughout your entire cycle and you are only fertile for approximately a week each cycle which is crazy because we are taught coach car style don't have sex or you will get pregnant and die or at the very least you will get pregnant i don't care when or where you have sex and everyone's like freaking you out from the day that you're born to be terrified of getting pregnant when it's just not true and I think of how many unplanned pregnancies we could have avoided by telling young women this, that, hey, you can't get pregnant every single day of your cycle but you are hella fertile for a certain portion of it. So don't play any games, girl. Make sure that you're keeping track of when you are fertile, especially if you're using something like condoms or, oh my God, especially if you're using something like pulling out. Because the fact that we don't talk about it and the fact that we are undereducated leaves a huge gap in education and a huge gap in knowledge. And- honestly is incredibly irresponsible in my opinion. And this is just because I've had so many goddamn clients where they have booked a discovery call with me and we start talking and I'm like, tell me about your history with birth control. And they're like, I am pissed because I got pregnant by accident because I didn't know this information. I didn't know that I was fertile at a certain point in my cycle. I didn't know that I could have actually been looking out for this and I could have avoided this unplanned pregnancy. So I digress. But this is why it's so important that you do know you are hella fertile for a certain point of your cycle, but it's not your entire cycle. And how do we actually figure this out? When are you fertile? First, we need to talk about when you ovulate. So typically your average person with a 28-day cycle, so remember that a 28-day cycle doesn't have to be your cycle length, but we want your cycle to be anywhere from 24 to 36 days. If you've got a longer or shorter cycle, this is going to vary, but I'm talking about in a typical healthy cycle. You will ovulate around day 14 to day maybe 24, day 25, somewhere in there. So about that 10-day window, is you're going to ovulate somewhere. That's in a typical healthy cycle. Some people are... Cycle day 14 ovulator, Sometimes they're cycle day 22. It's going to depend on you and your individual body, and it's also going to depend on you cycle to cycle because sometimes your cycles are longer, sometimes they're shorter, but you will fall into a general pattern, and you'll notice that you ovulate approximately the same day every month, assuming your hormones are balanced and you have a healthy regular cycle. If you don't have a regular length cycle, your periods come every 30 days and then 90 days and 70 days, and it's all over the place. You can still track your cycle for birth control. It's definitely more difficult, and you need to be on red alert in the sense that you're kind of almost always potentially fertile, especially when you're observing your fertility biomarkers, because a lot of the time when your hormones are imbalanced, they can show up as fertile, even though you're not fertile and it can get kind of confusing. So again, definitely make sure that you're learning from someone who's qualified to teach you because this method will look a little bit different for you, but you can totally do it. You can absolutely track your cycle for reliable birth control, even if your cycles aren't super, super regular. But when we ovulate, this is a 12 to 24 hour period which is the only period in your entire cycle when you can get pregnant, the only time frame. And this is because when you ovulate, you release an egg into your fallopian tube, one of them, and that egg chills there and waits there for sperm for 12 to 24 hours. If no sperm reaches that egg and fertilizes that egg within 24 hours, that egg is no longer viable. It's going to be shed with your next period and your cycle is going to begin again. So for that 24-hour period, sperm is doing everything it can to reach that egg. It is on like red alert for that egg. It is making a beeline for that egg. And so this is when we want to make sure if you're not trying to get pregnant, there is zero sperm pregnant or there is zero sperm present. And if you're trying to get pregnant, we want a lot of sperm around so we can have the best, healthiest, most mature, quickest sperm reach that egg. But That's not the only time. So, yes, that's technically the only window where you can get pregnant. That's the only window when an egg is actually out and chilling, waiting for sperm. But the catch is that sperm can survive in your body for up to five days before ovulation. So, now we have the one day of ovulation, that 24 hour period, and then we have the five days before. So, for a total of six days, every single cycle, you are potentially fertile and you can get pregnant on that day of ovulation and keep. That fertility go in those five days before because sperm can survive and chill and wait for up to five days. And then boom, you start ovulating and it starts to go for that egg. But sperm can only survive in your body for up to five days in fertile, serval, fertile quality cervical fluid. So, when you have fertile cervical fluid, this is essentially what grabs on a sperm, feeds it, and keeps it alive in your body, which is kind of crazy, but also really freaking cool. And again, Mother Nature, your body is made to reproduce like 100%. Your body's always trying to get pregnant. That's what we're here for. We are made to make babies and reproduce as much as possible when and wherever we can. So, Your body doesn't want just that 12-hour, 24-hour window. Your body wants that additional five days because 24 hours to get pregnant, are you kidding me? That's nothing. So we want to make sure that we've got a bigger window and that's where the cervical fluid comes in. So that fertile cervical fluid looks like white and creamy or stretchy, clear, slippery cervical fluid. You've probably been told it's called discharge. It's not, it's cervical fluid and it's a super healthy secretion that your body makes when estrogen levels rise right before and right around ovulation. So In this window, this is when you are fertile. This is when you're your most fertile, especially when that cervical fluid is stretchy, clear, slippery. So the first thing you want to start doing is... Taking a look for your cervical fluid, girl. Get to know what that looks like for you. When do you experience white and creamy and stretchy, clear, slippery cervical fluid? Can you start to track that on a trusted app like Read Your Body and start to see, okay, I get fertile cervical fluid like clockwork from cycle day 10 to cycle day 20. So I know that somewhere in there, I'm probably ovulating. And I know that somewhere in there, I am also very, very fertile. So if I want to get pregnant, that means something. If I don't want to get pregnant, that means something else. And it's important to know that that fertile window can shift. So, it's not about a finite amount of time. So it's not like every single cycle, you will only be fertile cycle day 10 to cycle day 15. That's not the way it works. It can change every cycle, depending on you, your lifestyle, your hormone function, your stress, your fertility, your age, all of these different things will impact the that amount of time that you're fertile and where it sits in your cycle. So this is why we want to be extra careful and we want to be tracking every single day. But just so you know, you cannot get pregnant outside of that window. If it's beyond that sperm survival time and that that window, or it's after your ovulation when that egg has died and is going to be shed with your next period, it's impossible for you to get pregnant. So that doesn't mean that you can just do whatever you want until you see fertile cervical fluid necessarily. There are some rules you need to follow, but it kind of gives us a deep breath and just kind of like oh, a sigh of relief. That you can't get pregnant every single day of your cycle, especially post-ovulation. After ovulation, it's virtually impossible for you to get pregnant. It is 100% effective, the fertility awareness method. After ovulation, you can't even make a mistake. Assuming that you properly identified your ovulation and were able to see, okay, yep, my ovulation's over, and we'll dive into that in a minute then you can have as much unprotected sex as you want. There can be sperm all up in there and you're not getting pregnant because there's no egg to fertilize. She's gone. She's dead. She's already had her moment in the sun. So this is where we want to be extra careful before the ovulation. So basically, from the beginning of your period up until ovulation, this is where the mistakes are made because You're awaiting that onset of your fertility, whereas post-ovulation, that egg's gone. She's gone. She's dead. You can't get pregnant. And even though you should still be tracking, it's a lot easier for you to identify that window than the one before. So that's your first main fertility marker. This is also what keeps sperm alive in the body. So this is the main thing that you want to be tracking every single day the way you track your cervical fluid is before you pee. So your average person pees like four to five plus times per day. So every time you pee, take two clean fingers, wash your hands before you go pee, wipe front to back and observe what you got on your fingers. Do you see anything white and creamy? Does it, is it stretchy, clear, slippery when you wipe front to back? Does it feel creamy like lotion, like very moist? Does it feel dry like your regular vagina? You don't really feel anything. Or does it feel slippery like dish soap or really wet like water, something like that? That is what you're observing, and that cervical fluid will be telling you, okay, girl, you're fertile right now, so do with that what you will, or you'll be able to see, okay, you're super dry, you have been dry for a number of days, looks like this is a no fertile zone, so you're good to go. Again, this pairs with other rules, so don't just think, if you see, okay, I don't think I see any cervical fluid, I'm good to have as much unprotected sex as I want, please don't do that. Make sure you're learning the rules and you're learning from a trusted educator. So typically most women and menstruators are not fertile on their period. Typically. And I say say that because yes, some people are early ovulators. So remember how I said you can ovulate or you can, yeah, you can ovulate at any point in your cycle, but you are also fertile the five days before ovulation because that's when sperm can survive. So What if you ovulated on day 10 of your cycle? That would probably mean, say hypothetically, I have a seven-day period, and then I ovulate on day 10. You bet your bottom dollar that I was probably fertile on my period because those last three days of my period or those last two days of my period, I technically could have been producing fertile cervical fluid. Sperm could technically survive, and then boom, two days later when I ovulate after my period's done or three days later after my period's done, I'm like, what? but i just had my period what the heck's going on this isn't necessarily common but it's possible so this is again why you want to track your cycle what's your cycle length are you a short cycle person are you a long cycle person when are you ovulating when are you getting that fertile cervical fluid we need to answer these questions in order for you to know when exactly you are fertile and in order for you to actually see and feel and identify your unique fertile window and how it changes cycle to cycle Just a word to the wise, typically as you reach the the end of your fertility, as you progress into your 30s and early 40s, sometimes people even in their, their mid to early 30s, depending on their fertility status your cycles can get a little bit shorter and you can ovulate earlier. That's often a sign of declining fertility. So again, it's not like the only sign. You wanna look at blood work and do other fertility testing. But this is just for you if you are approaching the later half or the later side of your fertility and you're starting to have shorter cycles, you're probably starting to ovulate earlier and earlier. And that is your body just saying, Hey, we're kind of struggling here to ovulate properly and to find a good quality egg, because there's maybe not be that, or there might not be that many left. So something to think about if you are someone who is ovulating quite early or your cycle is very short, you just want to cross-reference that with where you are in your fertility journey. Okay, so that is why it's possible to get pregnant on your or to be fertile on your period, because if you're an early ovulator, technically, sperm could still survive. I know it sounds crazy. It's not common, but it is possible. And I only give you the real information. You know, I would never sure coat things and lie to you. We don't do that on this podcast. So first things first, you've got your cervical fluid. You're going to wipe front to back with two clean fingers. Every time you before you pee, observe what you're looking at on your fingers. And then again, record it in a trusted app that you can start to see this pattern over time. You can put in, okay, dry today. Ooh, I've got my white creamy today. Ooh, I've got my stretchy, clear, slippery today. Yay. Maybe I'm approaching ovulation. Oh, I'm back down to dry. What does that mean? Interesting. Just start to observe your patterns, but know that you are your most fertile when you've got white, creamy, lotion-like cervical fluid, as well as when it's stretchy and clear and slippery. It usually looks like snot or like a raw egg white, or like a gel, anything like that is going to be your fertile cervical fluid. It can also look very watery, so it can just feel like water. Sometimes you'll get that gushing feeling, and you'll feel it literally like go down your leg, or it feels like you peed yourself a bit, or you started your period. That is your fertile cervical fluid coming on out, girl. It's just that fertile cervical fluid is highly water-based, so the water content can feel super wet, and that's totally fine. So something for you to consider. Another thing that we need to mention when it comes to the fertile cervical fluid is that arousal fluid, so that wetness that you get when you are getting intimate and you're aroused can very closely mimic your fertile cervical fluid. Essentially that wetness you experience is your own personal lubrication, right? It's your body's it's your body trying to lubricate the inside of your vaginal canal to make sex more pleasurable for you, more easy and that entire process can look very similar to that, that stretchy, clear, slippery cervical fluid. So keep in mind that if you were just intimate, then yes, you're probably going to go to the washroom the next time you pee You're in front to back. And you're like, Oh, do I have that stretchy, clear, slippery cervical fluid. Am I fertile or was I just turned on because we just had sex? So start to take that with a grain of salt. There are some things that you can identify the difference. So for example, the arousal fluid is usually much thinner. It feels like a very, it feels like lube, like uh, your arousal fluid, essentially that's what lube is. It's trying to mimic that arousal fluid, that natural fluid. Whereas your cervical fluid and that fertile cervical fluid usually has a little bit more structure. So it feels like you can't just rub it into your skin. It's kind of like on top and there's a lot more structure to it. It's usually more abundant and it's usually thicker. So just something for you to think about because a lot of people get confused when they're trying to figure out, okay, am I fertile or did I just get aroused? Because it's really hard to tell. Also, your arousal fluid should clear up essentially within a couple hours of you being intimate. So that's something for you to consider as well. Just make sure that you're looking out for the difference or else every time you're intimate, you're going to think you're fertile and that's going to stress you out. That will not be fun, especially if you're getting intimate with a partner, but just something for you to keep your eyes on. Okay, so cervical fluid, I also have linked below my favorite guide to cervical fluid. I'm going to link that in the show notes for you to sink your teeth into and start to understand the different uh, categories of cervical fluid and how to tell when it's fertile. The other fertility biomarker that you can track – that helps you increase the efficacy of cycle tracking for birth control is your temperature, specifically something called your basal body temperature. And this is because your temperature is lower before you ovulate and higher after you ovulate. So remember, essentially with the fertility awareness method or cycle tracking for birth control, all we're really doing is identifying that six day window where you are your most fertile, where you can keep sperm alive in your body and when you're ovulating. We're trying to nail that down to a T. But it's important to remember that though sperm can only survive for up to five days in your body in fertile cervical fluid, sometimes that window looks a little longer because you might produce fertile cervical fluid for nine days, not just five days. So we have to, of course, take that into consideration. And again, if you want to learn the method. You'll learn a lot more about this and all the rules opening and closing the fertile window. Like there's so much to get into, but for right now, just start to notice when that that cervical fluid is, is present and what it looks like. And then when it comes to your temperature, super, super easy. All you do is buy a thermometer, an ovulation thermometer. I'll link a couple below that I love. You can do an oral one or you can do a wearable. Both are great. A wearable thermometer is better if you are someone who doesn't have a consistent sleep schedule or you don't sleep that seven plus hours per night or you are a shift worker. So, all of the nurses, paramedics, et cetera, that I work with, they usually use something called a temp drop, which is a wearable thermometer. And that's going to give them the best results because your temperature will change. Of course, when you work a night shift versus when you work a day shift. But essentially what what is happening is your resting body temperature is going to be lower before you ovulate, indicating that you haven't ovulated yet, that your estrogen hormone is the dominant hormone. And then after you ovulate, as soon as that happens, so you ovulate first and then boom, we see a spike in your temperature. Or sometimes we just see like a little staircase climb in your temperature, but you will see a significant difference before and after you ovulate. With your temperature. And that's because your progesterone hormone comes into the equation. And if you're not familiar with these hormones, please go back and listen to episode two, Meet Your Menstrual Cycle, because I explain all the phases of your cycle. I explain these different hormones, how your body changes, like all of this stuff. And so if this is new to you, listen to that that episode and then come back because it'll be better for you to have an outline of okay, I know what estrogen does, I know what progesterone does, I understand the different phases of my cycle. But progesterone increases in the second half of your cycle, thanks to ovulation, and that will increase your temperature. Ideally, it will increase it significantly. Again, this kind of is going to depend on you. Those of us who are more stressed out, who don't have a great hormonal profile or balance may see some struggles in our temperature. They might be super low. They might be super high. They might not change as much as we want them to. But for a typical healthy cycle, if you get your hormones in balance and you do the work you need to do, then you should see a significant difference from pre-ovulation to post-ovulation. And then we know- right when that temperature increases, okay, you most likely ovulated the one or two days before that temperature spiked. So whereas cervical fluid will be telling you when you're actively fertile because you're seeing that white, creamy, or stretchy, clear, slippery stuff saying, okay, I am currently fertile because I can currently keep sperm alive in my body. Your temperature will tell you, okay, you're no longer fertile because ovulation's already happened. The temperature has increased telling us ovulation is over. And yes, we need to wait a little buffer period so it's not like you see that temperature increase and you're like, let's go, babe. We can have as much sex as we want. You usually want to wait about three to four days to make sure you confirm that temperature spike. But remember, again, you got to learn the rules for fertility awareness method. This is, again, just a very um, surface level intro and making sure that you understand your fertile biomarkers. It'll give you enough to get going, but it's not enough to master the method for highly effective birth control. So you'll take your temperature every single day as soon as you wake up in the morning before you get out of bed brush your teeth kiss your partner drink water go pee anything have it on your nightstand put it on top of your phone or right next to your alarm clock make sure that as soon as that alarm goes off you put it under your tongue wait for the beep and then you log that in your app. If you are using a wearable thermometer, you put it on before you go to sleep, whenever that is, and you just want to make sure you sleep at least three to four hours so that it gets an accurate basal body temperature reading. Your basal body temperature is your resting body temperature. So you can't wake up, go about your morning, and then be like, oh, shit, forgot to take my temperature. Let me go take that. It won't work. It has to be your resting body temperature as soon as you wake up in the morning. Because as soon as you put your feet on the ground, you drink water, you do literally anything, your temperature is going to change. So we want to avoid that and we want to make sure we take your temperature before that change happens. It has to be resting. You don't have to take it necessarily every single day. If you miss it every now and then, it's no big deal, but just try to be as consistent as possible so you can start to see the change from pre and post ovulation. And I have a great uh, example chart that I will link in the show notes below this episode of a typical cycle and what the cervical fluid and the temperature looks like pre and post ovulation. So you can start to see that for yourself and you can start to say, oh, okay, I, I kind of understand what I'm looking for. This is really interesting. So we've got cervical fluid. You're tracking that every single day, wiping front to back at least three times a day before you pee, and you're logging that in a trusted app. You're observing what you're seeing on your fingers. Then we've got our basal body temperature. We're taking that every single day. And our cervical fluid tells us when we're fertile, the active time that we're fertile, depending on if it's fertile cervical fluid, white, creamy, or stretchy, clear, slippery, or it's not when it's dry or crumbly, tacky cervical fluid, for example. And then you've got your temperature, which tells you, okay, I am now no longer fertile. It's after my fertile window. So when you pair them together, you get a great picture of when you're fertile, and it's super easy for you to keep on track with that. Your temperature takes 20 seconds, your cervical fluid takes 30 seconds because you do it for like a couple seconds a few times a day. And it's actually really, really fun to observe this stuff. Like anytime I'm checking and I get peak cervical fluid, I'm like, Ooh, I'm ovulating. Yay! Like this is so fun for me. Or I'll start to see my temperature increase and be like, Okay, girl, we no longer fertile. Let's just wait a few more days and make sure that that's good. And then I know, all right, in two weeks, I'm gonna get my period pretty much like clockwork. And it's so, so, so cool. Like these biomarkers can teach you so much. I've literally only scratched the surface in this episode, teaching you how to track your cycle for birth control. So please learn so much more, like use the blog articles we've got. We've got a ton of other podcast episodes about it. We've got so many resources for you posts all over Instagram for you to learn how to track your cycle, learn how to monitor your fertility because you deserve to have this information. It's so 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 fascinating, so interesting. And those are the two main ones that will get you started. Remember that it's not enough to just track them willy-nilly. It's enough for you to do that for interest, but if you do want to learn the full method, book a discovery call with me. I'll link that below and make sure that you're learning from a trusted educator. If you don't want to be on hormonal birth control and you also don't want an IUD and you're curious about, okay, could I cycle track for birth control? What would that look like for me? And maybe I need to do a little bit of work to get my hormones at balance first, or maybe I can just jump right to it and I can come off birth control and start to cycle tracking right away because you can also do that. You just need to give your body a few cycles to start to observe your different patterns. That's the most important thing to do. But this episode was really about giving you that education, giving you that liberation and empowerment to know that you can track your cycle for birth control with incredible efficacy. It does require a lot of effort. You definitely need to track it every single day. It's not something you can slack on or do just like on the side. You really have to show up and learn the method, learn the rules and make sure that you're putting the time and energy into it. But once you learn it, oh my God, it's, it's like the back of your hand. It's like riding a bike. At any moment, someone could ask me, hey, are you fertile? And I'd be like, yes or no, I'm not. Or I'm at the beat in my fertile window, or I think I ovulated yesterday, or I have two days left of fertility or whatever. It's so interesting how much you can learn about your body and how much you can nail down your fertility to a T, whether you're trying to get pregnant or you're trying to avoid pregnancy. Both you can use cycle tracking and the fertility awareness method for. And I just want you to know 100% that this is a trusted method. It actually is backed by science, by research. We know that we are not fertile every single day of our cycle, but it's about identifying that window. This has nothing to do with just looking at a calendar, counting your days, assuming you're fertile when you're actually not, and blah, blah, blah. You have to track with a method that's so important. You cannot guess. You cannot just think you know when you're ovulating. I cannot stress that enough or else you are going to say, oh, nope, cycle tracking didn't work for me. See, it doesn't work. It's it's not a worthy method. You have to learn it properly. That's the most important thing. So I hope this episode was very helpful. And again, if you want to learn more about cycle tracking, I've linked a ton of resources below for you to dive into the fertility awareness method. And I'm always here if you want to book a discovery call to ask more questions, learn about how the fertility awareness method can support you, how to track your cycle for birth control or for conception. Thank you so much for listening to the Root and Remedy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, if you like our information and find this helpful, then it would mean the world to us if you would leave a five-star rating and review and follow or subscribe to us anywhere you listen to your podcast. It really helps to get the show out to more people. It shows us the most support, and it also allows us to get even better guests so we can bring you the best content possible. And of course, if you want to dive more into our membership, you can use the code podcast for 20% off your first month. Okay. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening.